I'm Brian Santo, EE Times Editor-in-Chief. You're listening to EE Times On Air. And this is your weekly briefing for the week ending March 12th. This week, our guest is Colin Barnden, an analyst who keeps track of the automotive industry. He's a regular contributor to EE Times. Colin recently came to an intriguing supposition. Car makers are likely to give up their factories just like most semiconductor manufacturers gave up their fabs. This week, Junko and I talk with Colin about his rather startling prediction. Before we get to that discussion, here's a quick rundown of some of the top articles we have in EE Times this week. After Texas recently experienced the complete failure of its power grid, Editor Maurizio De Paolo Emilio filed a timely story about making microgrids more efficient. The use of microgrids is one approach to making the power grid at large more resilient. Editor Sally Ward-Foxton filed a story on DARPA distributing grants to improve homomorphic encryption. I'm not going to take the 10 minutes it requires to explain what homomorphic encryption is, but at a time when it seems that no one's data is safe, please trust me when I say this is incredibly timely and worth reading about. We've got another story that is similarly wonky, but also similarly significant, from contributor Kevin Crewell. Xilinx has partnered with Selexica a company that specializes in software for field-programmable gate arrays, to make Xilinx's Vitus high-level synthesis tool open source. In short, having an open source tool should make it easier to do software development for FPGAs, which are becoming more useful in more places than might have been expected even a few years ago. Rare earth elements are absolutely critical in the manufacture of everything from iPhones to the U.S. Navy's submarines. And China is the source for most of the world's supply. Even as trade tensions with China have been dialed back to a simmer, everyone else is considering how to reduce their reliance on China for rare earths. Alan Patterson filed a story from Taiwan about why that's not going to happen anytime soon. We've also got articles from memory maven Gary Hilson on the unique demands on semiconductor memory in space, one from John Walco on why cellular companies are selling their towers, and one from George Leopold on dealing with the strange fragility of the GPS system, which is getting hacked with alarming frequency. Those and other stories at eetimes.com. If you're on our podcast webpage, There are links on your left. Over 100 years ago, in 1913, Henry Ford set up the first modern assembly line to make cars. That moment is one of the defining moments not just in the automotive business, but in industrial history in general. With the assembly line, Ford demonstrated and popularized the notion that innovation in an industrialized manufacturing process could in and of itself, be an extraordinary competitive advantage. To this day, the commercial might of most of the world's leading car companies rests in part on their manufacturing prowess. That's frequently the case when you look at other products and how they're made, but it's not universally true. If you look at textiles, for example, you'd have a hard time finding a company that sells clothing that has its own factory. Similarly, 
most semiconductor companies have famously gone fabless. Among the giants, Intel is pretty much the last company that still makes most of its own chips, although that might be changing. Uh, the same is true with Samsung, which also operates a thriving foundry business. Some other big companies make some, but not all of their own chips. A few examples are Infineon, ST Microelectronics, and On Semiconductor. Many of the smaller chip companies keep fabs as well, and sometimes that's because they produce specialty products. The iPhone is germane to this conversation for a couple of reasons. It is one of the most advanced pieces of consumer electronics available today. But while Apple designs even some of its own processors, it physically produces not a single component. Apple has demonstrated that you don't need a manufacturing facility to produce high-quality electronics. The other reason to bring up Apple is because the company has been widely rumored to be developing an automobile. And Colin Barndon, lead analyst with Semicast Research and a frequent contributor to EE Times, has been trying to hunt down this possibly mythical beast, which for obvious reasons people have dubbed the iCar. Colin was trying to figure out if Apple could make a car without having a car factory. And then it occurred to him to ask, can anyone make a car without having a car factory? It's not a question that seems to come up often, and since we thought it was a good one, we were pleased to run his column and ask him back to the podcast to talk about it with me and my EE Times colleague, Junko Yoshida. Essentially, the idea for this piece was, can I disprove the existence of Apple iCar? Can I find anything which would say they won't do it? So that had me researching uh, the Apple model and the Apple supplier list, which uh, is is uh, referenced in the piece. Um, and Apple's a very interesting company that they don't actually manufacture anything. They work through uh, contract manufacturers. Um, so I was working on the assumption of, could I figure out a way that I could either prove or disprove uh, Apple iCar through contract manufacturers? And what that actually brought out was the role of uh, Magna, um, for both uh, Fisker, for the Fisker Ocean, and also with Sony for the Sony Vision S, um, that here is Magna um, actually manufacturing or proposing to manufacture cars, uh, certainly for Fisker, possibly for Sony. Um, and actually towards the end of researching that piece, I then found the announcement from Foxconn that they've gone into uh, EV uh, contract manufacture as well. Uh, so really what I was looking at there is, well, th there seems to be a clear evidence that um, some p particularly new car manufacturers are going down a, a, a fabulous route. Uh, and what are the implications, particularly for Apple, but then also what are the implications for the remainder of the, the industry as well? Right. Yeah, that's a, that's interesting. But here's the thing. that um, Let's talk about the, um, the companies, auto companies, who have already gone fabulous. Do we see them yet? That's a great question. So as far as I can tell, there is yet no company exclusively uh, that is a fabulous automaker. Um, but really, the, the 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 supposition that I'm putting forward is that going forward, you know, essentially as we go into like the second century of car making, you you could call it. Um, what might happen is that um, new companies that enter the market. One great example then that we've got now is Fisker. Uh, is that they will be completely fabulous so that they're adopting a model whereby they're designing the car um, and it looks like uh, in uh, uh, cooperation with Magna and with um, 
uh, Foxconn, but they're not actually going to do the manufacturing themselves. So what that's a possibility is that going forward, there could be completely new entrants, Fisker, potentially Sony, potentially Apple, um, that design, but they don't manufacture their own cars. Right. All right. Then let's talk about the uh, advantages and disadvantages for automakers to go fabulous. Let's start with the advantages. So that's really interesting. So I, I, I see really this is this could be a very, very long term trend. Um, and so th- this is now where the, 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 the lead into the semiconductor industry comes in. So uh, what's really interesting is um, who are fabulous semiconductor companies? You know, as I'm talking about in the piece, um, um, the industry now, it's accepted practice to have a completely fabulous model. Um, you know, and I, I listed four companies in that piece, actually, um, that are, are completely fabulous semiconductor companies. There's uh, Apple, AMD, uh, NVIDIA, and Qualcomm. Uh, one of the things that's interesting is when I looked at those four companies and I said to myself, which one of those four went fabulous first? I didn't know the answer to that question. And then when I thought to myself, who was the first company to go completely fabulous as a semiconductor company? I didn't know the answer to that question either. Um, and in fact, I couldn't even tell you the first year in which this trend started. Um, so th- the obvious cost implications for semiconductor companies are now quite well proven is that you design the, manu- you, you design the chips themselves, um, but you don't have the associated costs of manufacturing them. Um, that goes to Foundries, essentially, like TSMC, uh, Samsung's another one. Uh, there's a whole whole host of companies that do it, but really TSMC and Samsung are the, the, the two that I, I focused on because they're the companies that um, uh, manufacture on behalf of Apple. So really what you've got is a, a clear advantage is you don't actually have to build the factories to make the cars. So if you're a completely new manufacturer for cars, um, you can simply design the vehicle, but you don't have to then build the infrastructure to make the vehicles as well. And the obvious uh, example there is uh, Tesla, um, which has built, um, you know, the gigafactories and the the, the, the complete uh, manufacturing process for, for its cars. Um, but a, a, a new manufacturer that was coming in, and I'll come back to Fisker again, is that they don't actually have to build the entire infrastructure to make the cars themselves. Um, so for the new manufacturers, it's a no-brainer for me, really, that they would go down the, uh, the Magna or the Foxconn route. For the existing car companies, it's maybe a longer-term issue. Um, but again, we come back to the semiconductor companies, and um, you know, it's now accepted practice. Um, so certainly for the existing uh, automakers, it's a little bit uh, more of a gray area. Let's talk about downside. You know, th- actually, I was very surprised when... Tesla, when they got into the business, they actually invested so much money to build their own fab, and they're now also trying to control the battery business as well, right? And they invest a lot, and um, they could have easily gone to the fabulous route. I think they saw some down, downside. What, what, do you, what, what do you see this? Uh, how, how do you see this, uh, Colin? So... What I see essentially in the second century of car making is is we are now at the, the absolute beginning of EVs, electric vehicles. And um, and this is what's been, been written about in EE Times and in other areas as well, is this, this sort of skateboard architecture. So what I'm really interested actually is, and I looked this up before we, we recorded this, that the, the Model S, uh, the drivetrain has 17 moving parts. Um, and 
I, I, I find that fascinating because essentially once you've got this skateboard architecture, what it's done really is massively simplified um, the the manufacturing process of, of the vehicle itself. So you end up with the skateboard at the bottom, really with the, the, the drivetrain and the batteries, and then you build some kind of, uh, you know, frame, body frame of the, the remainder of the car on top. Um, so what I'm kind of really interested in is what does that actually mean going forward? And and what I think it does is it, 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 it essentially commoditizes the, the, the electrical, the, the EV side of the car, and it then moves the value into somewhere else in the vehicle, be that uh, something to do with the, uh, the automated driving functions. What I'm talking about a lot at the moment is around the, the digital cockpit and the entertainment side. Um, so really what I'm looking at is, is the possibility, are we starting to see a trend really of the commoditization of EVs? Um, and if that's the case, what does that actually mean for Tesla? And what does that mean for Tesla's investors who are investing in a company with an $800 billion, $700 billion market capitalization today? I don't know what it will be today because it changes. It goes up and it goes down. Um, but essentially what we're seeing really is this transition from the combustion engine to EVs. It has huge implications for uh, the manufacturing of, of vehicles. And really what we're looking at now is, is this whole skateboard architecture. Architecture. What you have is uh, a battery pack. You've got um, a power management around that. You've got uh, onboard diagnostics. And really, these are areas that, that companies like Apple have got tremendous experience in from uh, iPhone and from consumer electronics. Um, so there's a lot of the the expertise that is in uh, internal combustion engine. Essentially, a lot of that is is redundant and dying. Um, and then as we move over to the, the skateboard EV architecture, it's a completely different business model. And really what it means is that a lot of the, uh, the sort of the, uh, the sunk costs uh, into either uh, traditional car making or indeed Tesla's plant for uh, EVs. I've now got a question about long term how suitable that is when companies like Magna or companies like Foxconn, particularly Foxconn, can come in with an EV platform, an EV skateboard, um, and say to new makers like uh, Fisker, hey, we can essentially do the uh, do, do the, the electric drivetrain for you and we can design the remainder of the car for you. And you never have to take on the, you know, five, ten billion dollar cost of building the infrastructure of a factory. Because, um, for example, Byton um, went bankrupt, uh, really, in the, the efforts to, uh, to, to, to get the, uh, the, the infrastructure and the factories made. Um, they never actually made it to production yet. Um, and yet a company like Fisker can come in and they're working with subcontract manufacturers uh, and they never have to take on the cost of uh, building the uh, the infrastructure. So there's all sorts of implications. And, and really, I think the, the longer term issue is that if Fisker can come in and they can actually start to get to volume production very quickly uh, without having to, to carry the cost of uh, the factory, um, what is what are the implications for companies like Ford and GM and Toyota and Hyundai? Um, and longer term, that's a little bit harder to answer. There are certain components inside the EVAV that you can't do without, right? Whether it's, um, okay, EV has got this uh, more or less commoditized this skateboard architecture, but EV won't go without battery technologies. And AV also has a lot of different AV platforms popping up. Sure, we can embrace that. But without having control over the chip that chips and sensors that go into the AV platform, 
it won't happen. So the business models of automotive companies will be, in a way, kind of held back because they don't control the heart of the 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 uh, of, of the uh, EV AV technology. That would wouldn't that be the biggest fear that automotive companies should have? I'm actually thinking about the parallel at the moment that um, of the automotive chip um, production problems and the automotive supply problems. And um, I, I'm not actually in that part of the industry. So, um, you know, Junko and Brian, you, you might know more about what's what's happening there. But what I've read about is that um, there's so much, uh, I think it's TSMC's uh, production that's been taken by Apple um, that um, uh, essentially the availability for the the fabulous semiconductor companies wanting to supply the automakers is uh, uh, that the the, the capacity is not there. Um, so I, I think there's probably already implications about supply chain problems and the, the difficulties that it had. But really, what it, it says to me, if I look at the the current situation um, and the the automotive chip uh, shortage, is that it just goes to show the purchasing power of Apple. And actually, that comes back to my supposition about the Apple iCar. Uh, and, and Apple has so much purchasing power um, that could they come in and, uh, you know, work with a company like Magna uh, or Foxconn um, and, uh, and and essentially usurp the, the, the existing automakers in terms of uh, the availability of, you know, high-performance semiconductors and high-performance chips. Um, so, you know, the uh, the the the, the purchasing power already of Apple would tend to suggest that they might actually have more power in automotive to start with than uh, than many of the automakers already. So I, I don't know what either of you think about that. The supply chain angle is an interesting one because in any business, whether you are in the smartphone business or car business, anyone who has the biggest, you know, I mean, the presence in the supply chain will, you know, the uh, get get the components that they, they need, right? So well, here's... Uh, Here's my question for both of you uh, to consider. Uh, with chips, um, I, they're marvelously complex, some of the most complex products on the, on the face of the planet, but they're discrete products, right? And a, a, a vehicle, a motor vehicle, is a, a complex system of different things, not just chips. Does the analogy between semiconductors and automobiles hold up when you take into account that one's a discrete thing and the other is a complex system of discrete things. I'm actually interested in the comments we've already seen from EE Times readers um, and they're already talking about because uh, like these folks these they're just on it. Um, you, you know they're already talking about essentially the um, the automotive supply chain is complex and it's tiered, as we know for well. You know, there are tier ones, there are tier twos, and uh, most cars today, anyway, are uh, sub assemblies and, and 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 systems that are uh, screwed together essentially at the point of manufacture. You know, the, the the braking system is one part, and and indeed, what we're seeing really is this this trend towards more domain control rather than 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 than, than discrete ECU. So really very much what I'm seeing happening already and, and uh, uh, the, the EE Times readers have immediately picked up on is, is that the that the car is already really this complex 
system of, of sub-assemblies being screwed together uh, and put together. Um, so it, it's very interesting, really, again, to see how the, the architecture of the car changes uh, over time. You know, this, this transition really from discrete ECUs more to domain control um, with a, a sort of a complex, uh, you know, gigabit Ethernet LAN uh, within the car as well. Um, and really, we're seeing this transition sort of more from what looks like automotive electronics historically to more not necessarily consumer electronics, but much more compute platforms. Um, and, um, you know, as we move away from the, the discrete ECU towards the domain controller approach over the, the coming decades, um, it really very much leads into the ability to to draw a box around this is one system here and this is one system here and we actually put them together at the final point of assembly um, and the systems talk to each other across the uh, you know the, the, the high performance network in the car um, so again we're, we're very early days on on these sorts of trends and these sorts of issues in the industry but um, you know I think really the, the the direction is is only going one way that was Colin Barndon of semicast research the article he wrote for us is called automakers will go fabless there's a link on the podcast webpage. If all this talk about the iCar is making you hungry for more information about the future of electric vehicles, EVs, and cars with driver assist technology, or ADAS, and autonomous vehicles, AVs, then we've got just the thing for you. A week and a half from now, EE Times is hosting a virtual conference called the Roadmap to Next-Gen EV and AV, Infusing Cars with Sparks and Sense. The conference was organized largely by Junko and our fellow editor in Italy, Maurizio De Paolo Emilio. Since this is a brand spanking new conference, we thought it important to let our listeners know what they can expect out of it. I got on the horn with Junko and Maurizio to ask about the EV and AV Roadmap Conference. Talk to us about the, the, the level of electronics, how electronics are taking over, um, taking over uh, a key role in the manufacture of, and design of, of automobiles coming up. I can sum it up in two ways. One is that automation and electrification are the two pillars that are moving automotive industry forward. And both pillars require advancements in semiconductors, whether it's uh, new materials or the um, new processing powers or new sensors. Um, so, so we really speak to our audience, which is both the, uh, those who are in the semiconductor uh, business who want to get into the automotive market, but also automotive industry who really need to depend on the advancements of electronics to move their, their own industries uh, forward. Now, Junko, in your reporting over the past couple of years, uh, some amazing reporting goes very in-depth on the automotive industry. One of the things you've discovered is that uh, the automotive industry doesn't necessarily understand electronics or is in the process of understanding electronics and the electronics companies are in the process of understanding the automotive industry. Um, I'm, we're long down that path, but can I get you to, to comment on how those two constituencies, which you mentioned a moment ago, are coming together? Yeah, I think they are beginning to speak the same language. 
at least similar language. And <laughs>、um, I think both parties and both sides are beginning to understand each other. Still not fully, but、um, you know, without electronics, without semiconductors, really the、uh, you know. As I said,、uh, the、uh, some of the、uh, bells and whistles that come with the uh, uh, the new generation of ADAS vehicles, or definitely EVs, won't happen. So the I think they're beginning to understand each other. But this is a good step, you know, by covering both and、uh, being EE times.、Uh, I think we are in a good position to you know do a deep dive in yeah. both.、Uh, yeah. And this conference is a, a great opportunity to get a、uh, electronic slash automotive Esperanto. <laughs> That's right. Yep. Okay, great,、um, Maurizio. Can I ask you about some of the the speakers and some of the content、uh, people who attend the conference attend in air quotes. Uh, it's a virtual conference. Can、uh, can I get you to talk about some of the the people we'll hear from、uh, if we attend? Yes, you can, of course. So together, my colleague Junko, we had、uh, put together、uh, several speakers for electric vehicles. For example, we have Yole、uh, Development with、uh, Hanna Villamor, technology and market analyst, that will give us、uh, an opening talk. Title:、uh, Wide band gap、uh, semiconductors race in electric vehicle system. So, what is the goal? Anna will、uh, will give an overview in terms of wide band gap semiconductors and uh, the most uh, important features for electric vehicles in terms of、uh, GAN and、uh, silicon carbide, gallium nitride and silicon carbide. So, so. Wide band gap semiconductors. You've been writing about wide WBGs for、uh, for quite some time. You're pretty familiar with、uh, the materials and the devices, but they're still not commonly used.、Uh, this is a good opportunity、uh, for the automotive manufacturers to understand、um, exactly what the latest. Technologies are and how quickly they're developing. Is that correct? Yes, yes. So、um, I am familiar. I I can say that I love GAN and SIC, <laughs> and、uh, we've noticed in this agenda. <laughs> in this agenda, the the goal is uh, uh, to highlight the feature of GAN and silicon carbide for electric vehicles. Why we need GAN and、uh, and SIC? Why electric vehicles need GAN and SIC? Uh, for SIC, I mean SIC, silicon silicon carbide. Of course, GAN and silicon carbide are both wide band gap materials, uh, and uh, uh, the applications uh, are uh, are different. So we can say that GAN uh, uh, is uh, uh, just for、um, for middle high、uh, voltage, so、uh, up to six hundred fifty volts, and、uh, silicon carbide for High voltage, more of six hundred, more or less. And uh, uh, in fact, during the、uh, day one, we have、uh, two technical、uh, talks, two keynotes by one、uh, Alex Wang, professor at the University of Texas in Austin,、uh, will give us、uh, features about GAN, GAN for inverter in terms of electric vehicles, of course. And another one is.、Uh, 
Silicon Carbide, the topic, by Anup Balla, uh, the Vice President uh, of Engineering at United Silicon Carbide. So these two, two keynotes will give us the feature for the best materials that we have now, GAN and SIG. Allow me to pull back a little bit. Um, we're talking about electric vehicles and autonomous vehicles. Are they the same thing? Uh, no. Uh, electric vehicle is, uh, uh, when you think about uh, high power electronics, uh, how to charge the battery, uh, how to control the electric motor for uh, a vehicle, electric vehicle, you need uh, semiconductor, you need uh, integrated circuits uh, to, to control this, uh, this part. For autonomous vehicle, instead, we need a lot of sensors to, uh, to manage, to capture the data uh, and uh, to have uh, a, a, data, a data control, a data acquisition system and uh, powerful in terms of computing to manage the, the data of this uh, sensor and uh, to, to permit to the car to, to decide about um, so a, a particular behavior. So go left, side, uh, right, etc. But there is a connection between the two because um, if autonomous vehicles or ADAS vehicles use up too much power, then that directly affects the uh, mileage, you know, of uh, EV, right? So we do care about um, the uh, how much power that um, AV uses, and therefore that um, uh, new chips like uh, power battery battery management uh, inside EV slash AV becomes very important. So there is a connection here between the two. Ah, uh, so we'll hear about all of this at our conference. Yeah. yeah? Voila. <laughs> All right. Junko, is there anything left other than to issue a personal invite to every one of our listeners? Well, the, um, the you will actually meet the who's who uh, covering the issues of uh, safety and sensing and computing in this, uh, in, in, in this uh, virtual event. And um, we'll have a great panel, uh, including executives from... NVIDIA, ARM, NXP, and Siemens software. You know, uh, I'm going to ask hard questions about where is the dividing line between AV and ADAS. We also have um, another panel on driver monitoring system uh, headed up by um, myself and also Colin Barnden. And oh, that we, should be entertaining. Exactly. So we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna ask people. Um, we have the people, uh, the executives from Xilinx Vionier, which is the uh, tier one, seeing machines and uh, Omnivision, and ask them, is DMS really happening? Driver monitoring system is really happening, right? So those are the two big panels. But we also have a great keynote speakers, including Phil Copeman, uh, from the, the co-founder of Edge Case Research, Phil Magny, um, Egil Uliasen, and and again Colin Barton. Then, so all right. So this is a this is the who's who in automotive safety, automotive development, and automotive electronics. Exactly. Yes. All right, Maurizio Junko. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Brian. 
The Roadmap to Next-Gen EV and AV, Infusing Cars with Sparks and Sense, is an event hosted by EE Times and our sister publications, EDN and Power Electronics News. Maurizio not only contributes to EE Times, he's also the editor of Power Electronics News. The sessions at the conference will be held March 23rd to 25th. If you're interested in attending, the link is on the podcast webpage. And that is it for the weekly briefing for the week ending March 12th. Thank you for listening. The weekly briefing is available on all the major podcast platforms, but if you get to us via our website at eetimes.com slash podcasts, you'll find a transcript along with links to the stories we mentioned. This podcast is produced by EE Times. It was engineered by Taylor Marvin and Greg McCray at Coop Studios. The segment producer was Katie Huss. I'm Brian Santo. See you next week. I think this is good. Brian, what do you think? I think we should start a car company. (laughs) (laughs) Sure. (laughs) All right.